Good morning, I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. It is day 361 of our three-year journey through God's Word, and we come today to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our gracious God and King, thank you for your Word. The blessing and the gift that your Word is to us is rich and abundant. Write your word upon our hearts. Help us to know you and love you through your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4. The last chapter in the last letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. At the end of chapter 3, where we were a few days ago, we saw this positive call to be committed to the scriptures. Of course, Timothy is called to be a pastor. He's called to be a teaching elder, an elder who's devoted to preaching and teaching. And so the charge to Timothy, if you're going to be devoted to the scriptures, is a charge to preach the word. And as such, this really verses 1 through 5 of 2 Timothy 4, really kind of my life mission, my, you know, calling passage. It's the one that I remind myself of again and again as a pastor and as an elder who's called to preach and teach God's word. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 together. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, 
and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. It's a great charge, and then Paul's confident statement of his own expectation now that he has come to the end of his life. Let's start with this charge. This is a charge that is not just being issued by Paul to Timothy, but this is a charge that is being issued by the Lord to all who are called by God to serve as elders in the church of Jesus Christ who are particularly dedicated to preaching and teaching. Uh, in, in, uh, we read in the scriptures that all elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor, who work hard at preaching and teaching. So within the PCA, we try to follow scripture in this distinction, and we have elders who rule well, ruling elders. So at Forest Hill, that would be Sean Troutman and Tim Wilson and Larry Combs uh, actively serving. And then we have Matt Miller and Ernie Bruff and Bob Trammell who are not actively serving right now. Also Jonathan Hansen. So elders who rule well, there are three who are currently serving as ruling elders. They meet together to, to govern the church, to shepherd the flock. And then there's those, especially those who labor or work hard at preaching and teaching. And that's my calling as a teaching elder. And that's what Mike is training for. Mike is in training uh, to discern the Lord's call and to prepare him for the calling of being a teaching elder or a preaching and teaching elder. So this, this charge is really from the Lord to all preaching and teaching elders in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's a very solemn, very sober, very high and holy calling. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. God, we are always living our lives, quorum Deo, before the face of God. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, any other gods we have, we would have before his face because we live all of our lives before his presence. God is always with us. God is always watching us. Psalm 139 is a beautiful exposition of how the Lord is always with us and we can never flee from his presence. And Christ Jesus is the head of the church. He is the king of the kingdom of God. He is the savior of the redeemed, of the elect. And he is the one who is coming and who has a kingdom. And so it is in the presence of God who rules over all and is everywhere present and in whose presence we are, and in particular of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, the head of the church, who is coming again and who rules his kingdom. It's in their presence that the charge is given and the command is very simple. Preach the word. Proclaim the word of God. Declare the word of God with boldness and with authority. The discipline teaching and preaching. Teaching is primarily aiming to inform the mind. Preaching is primarily calling for a response of the life to the word. So it is a it is a bold, it is an authoritative proclamation because the authority of the word that comes from God. You can only preach the word. 
I can't stand up and preach my own opinion because that has zero authority. So sometimes in a sermon, I may make, may make, yeah, I may make a clever reference or maybe not so clever reference to Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or the some sports team or some uh, cultural thing. I'm only ever doing so by way of illustration, by way of trying to draw out the meaning of the text or by way of trying to connect with people to help them understand better. The content, the substance of what is being proclaimed is the word of God. And it is only the word of God that is to be preached. That is one of the reasons why my conviction is to always and only do expository preaching. Expository means to expose the text, to take the text and to expose its meaning to the people of God. So you always begin with a text and not with an idea and then go searching for a text. Some pastors will say, hmm, I really want to preach a five-part series on parenting principles. And I really want to teach people how to be better parents. And so we're going to have a five-part series. I'm going to go mining the scripture for biblical principles on parenting. Is that preaching the word? It can be if it is done carefully, faithfully, and well. But it can also be someone preaching their own opinion and then searching for a text to justify said opinion. And so what is vital, even if there's a topical series, it, what's vital is that every sermon begin with a text and every sermon be an unfolding of that text. It's not right to have a sermon be about an idea, a thesis statement that arises out of the preacher's own knowledge and then go off searching scripture to find support for that thesis. The thesis, the statement, the, the main point, the, the driving home, this is what you must do, has to come from the text. That's what it means to preach the word. And expository preaching has fallen out of favor in so many parts of the church. People want to hear things that are relevant to their lives and application-oriented. And what they really want are principles that they can go home and apply to have a better life. And usually what they mean by a better life is a happier, more successful, more fulfilling life. Less pain, less struggle, less hardship, more peace, more satisfaction, more joy. How do I get that? Tell me the principles that I need to follow in order to get that. Well, if you're asking that question, you don't want someone to preach the word to you. You don't. You want someone to preach self-satisfaction, self-help gospel. And that's no gospel at all. And faithful pastors will never preach that. They will never give in to the idea that I need to preach something that's going to help someone live a happier life. Because that's not preaching the word. And we have a solemn charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus to preach the word. To be ready in season and out of season. In season when the fruit is coming in readily and obviously out of season, when there's no obvious fruit being born and it's hard and cold. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove means to show someone where they are wrong. Rebuke them for their bad behavior. Exhort them to do what is right and good and pleasing to God, to believe what they ought to believe, to live how they ought to live with complete patience and teaching. Shouldn't be short-tempered, shouldn't be angry, shouldn't be beating on people, 
but with complete patience and teaching. Teaching means there should be real substance to know. You should be informing the mind of truth as well as calling the life to respond. So preaching always involves teaching, right? You can't really preach the word faithfully without teaching, although you can teach without preaching. You can lay out, this is what this means, this is what this says, and not really be calling for a response of the life. So all preaching has to involve sound teaching. And he said, gives a reason. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So you're supposed to be giving sound teaching. Time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is exactly what I was just talking about, saying, How, help me live a happier life. Help me have my best life now. Have, help me have seven steps to a happier marriage and more obedient children and a better bank account. Like, that's what everybody wants. Everybody in the world, pagan, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, non anything, they want, what do they want? Happier marriage, better behaved children, and a fatter bank account. And that's not preaching the word. The word is about Jesus Christ, about his kingdom, about his redemption, about your real need, which is forgiveness for reconciliation with God, with coming into the kingdom of God, with growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So you don't go, people will always want to go after things that will suit their own passions. Help me to have the kind of life that I want to have. Turning away from the truth, wandering off into myths. Prosperity gospel is a myth, right? Um, all this kind of positive, the power of positive thinking is a myth, right? The power of high self-esteem is a myth, right? Preaching pop psychology is largely mythical. It's, it's sort of fuzzy ideas that kind of make people feel good, but don't really have any rooting in the truth. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is a gospel proclaimer. So preaching teaching and gospel proclamation preaching the word calling for a response teaching the word sound teaching what does the word mean gospel preaching where is jesus christ where is the gospel in this fulfill your ministry this is the calling and one of the things that i try by the grace of god i try to be open to feedback that will help me do this better because we're always growing and we're always a work in progress. And I want, I want to fulfill 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 better. Day by day, week by week, year by year. So feedback that helps me do this better, I want. But people who are giving advice about how to build a bigger church, get more followers on social media, tell people what they want to hear, have people be happy with you and like you. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. I don't want it in my life because it's too tempting. You know, I'm a human being. I like to be liked, but I don't want to hear that. What I want to hear is how can I be a more faithful preacher of the word? How can I rebuke, reprove, exhort with complete patience and teaching? How can I give people sound teaching and the gospel? That's what I want to do. And it is my hope, my aspiration, my heart's longing that when I come to the end of my life, I might be able to say what Paul says here in verses 6 through 8. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 
and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Is that your heart's desire? Do you long above all else, above anything else that you could ever get in time or eternity, do you long to get to the end of your life and have the Lord Jesus Christ look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into your master's rest. Paul is confident that he's going to hear that. And he did. Will we? And then he names all these people, some of whom were helpful to him, some of whom were not helpful to him. He makes reference to his first defense. Um, We're not exactly sure of the timeline of the end of Paul's life because the book of Romans leads us up to Paul being in prison in Rome. And Paul went on trial at that point, and that may have been what he refers to as my first defense. And he says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. We believe, based upon the records of church history that we have, that Paul was in prison at the end of the book of Acts, and he was put on trial, and he was let go. He was acquitted. And he carried out a ministry that went as far as Spain, but then he was rearrested later under Emperor Nero after the Roman fire where Nero was blaming the Christians for the fire that was started in Rome. No one knows for sure who started the fire. A lot of people think it was Nero himself. And then he was brought back on trial. And at that trial, he was executed. And that's the trial that he's awaiting here in 2 Timothy 4. So it's possible when he's making reference to my first defense and where he was rescued from the lion's mouth, he's, he's referring to that first imprisonment, which is the imprisonment that's mentioned at the end of the book of Acts. And that now... Maybe he was out for a year or two, and then he's back in prison again before Nero, and he's not going to get out of it this time. But he is confident. He says in verse uh, 18 here, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the Lord kept that promise. The Lord delivered Paul from every evil deed and brought him safely into his heavenly kingdom. Even as Paul was beheaded, which is what we believe happened to him under Nero, even as he was beheaded, he was being rescued from every evil and he was being brought safely into Christ's heavenly kingdom. This is why we cannot look at things in life from a worldly perspective and maintain a faithfulness to God. You know, James tells us that if anyone is sick, Let him call for the elders to anoint him with oil, and the prayer will heal the sick. And a lot of people take that as an absolute, that if you you call the elders, and they anoint you with oil, and they pray for you, that God will heal you of that sickness. They take that as an absolute promise. And they're right, but they're wrong. God heals every believer of every sickness. Full stop. He absolutely keeps that promise 100% without fail. He does it in eternity, in the resurrection, in his heavenly kingdom. See, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's our destination. That's what our hearts are longing for. That's what we were made for. That's where we're going. 
if God answered every temporary request for healing in a temporary way, then we would keep living on in this temporary earthly existence and we'd never be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom and we wouldn't get that eternal healing that awaits every believer at the resurrection. So in a sense, by not answering the prayers for temporary healing, God is answering the prayers for eternal healing. We always need to have an eternal heavenly perspective on everything as we read scripture and as we go through life. Let's pray. Father, you have called us by your grace. You are so good. Our salvation is the work of your spirit within us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Bring us safely into your heavenly kingdom and keep us faithful until that day, preaching the word, teaching the word, learning the word, growing in the word, walking in the word, looking to please you, looking for your good pleasure in and over our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for 1 Timothy 4, or 2 Timothy 4 today. Uh, as always, I hope we have a blessed day in the Lord tomorrow. Lord willing, we're going to start the book of Ruth. I will see you then.